Well, hello and welcome to the first full episode of the Tips and Tales podcast. I'm your host, Robert Poe, and today we really dive into the heart of this podcast as I'm sitting here with trainer and author George DaCosta Jr. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have not yet, to go back and listen to the first introductory episode where I introduce myself in this podcast and what we hope for with our time together. And even though I did take some time in the introductory episode, uh, George, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself? All right. Well, I'm, I'm George DeCosta, as you said. I'm a, a dog trainer and, and first and foremost an avid hunter. I've been hunting since I was a child. So I've been, I've been out in the fields with bird dogs for like 50 years now. And uh, I actually got into training, testing, running field trials to extend my time in the field with my bird dogs. Um, I, lo I love working with dogs. I love being out in the field. I love being part of nature. And so I got into to the uh, aspect of running field trials and, like I said, test, testing and judging and stuff um, to, to spend more time out in the field. When I was young, I had an uncle. We had a ranch in, in, on Maui, um, in Hawaii, and uh, he, was a, he was a pretty famous um, horse trainer, and we had a lot of cattle dogs as well as hunting dogs. So as a, as a little boy, I got to work with horses and Mm -hmm. bird dogs in and that's just stuck with me forever so um yeah okay I'm, that's who i am yeah all right thanks george <laughs> pretty simple guy yeah yeah well actually that kind of ties in uh i'd love for you to expand a little bit on that if you could tell us uh so you said you've been in bird dogs now for over 50 years yeah. um Maybe tell us a little bit, like, what was it like as a as a kid with your bird dogs? And then you said, you know, you got into the uh, field trials and the testing and stuff to extend your season. Um, maybe tell us about when that was, like, what dogs were you running at that point? You know, any of those kind of details that you th think might be good. Boy, you're testing my memory now. <laughs> but, but before we get started, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate you, you having me on the podcast. Oh, I, yeah, I, absolutely. I appreciate this. Um, well, I guess I should clear up that f the first dogs we worked with, obviously, were, were cattle dogs. But in, in Hawaii, pick hunting is very popular. Mm. And so we had a, an, an array of dogs, Airedales, short hairs, pit bulls, mixes that would, uh, you know, we had the we had the trackers that went out there and track the pig and the bayers that would, would bark and pin the pig with the trackers and with the trackers. And then we had the, the dog that went in there and grabbed it. And then... Uh, my uncle would go with a knife and 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 kill the pig with a knife and we we carry it out. <laughs> so uh, a, a long ways from watching a beautiful um, you know bird dog out in the fields quartering and locking into a, a nice point. Um, but you you know you're interacting with the dogs. It's hunting. I we 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 hiked all over the place. Um, Haleakala craters is by where where we lived, not right by it, but a little ways away. And we'd hunt the edges of that. So yeah, that's, that's how I first got started hunting with hunting dogs. And then, uh, went to, you know, pheasant and, and some chucker and quail quails, my quails, my favorite. Um, although, actually, it, that's my favorite as well. Yeah. Even though I, my, my dogs are not great at it yet. Cause they get too excited with that many birds sometimes. Well, you know, I love that because, um, when you get into a covey of quail, um, you know, you get the the, the cubby flush and and then you get the singles and the doubles and yeah that's, yeah that's mm -hmm. that's some fun and the closest thing for me here in idaho to that is uh is chucker hunting the the, the biggest difference in chucker hunting you get the you get the you know you get the cubby flush and you get the singles and the doubles afterwards but you have to work your tail off <laughs> to get either of those up yeah those isn't lava. that the truth yeah yeah so um about 12 years old my father bought me a shotgun, and I started uh, pheasant hunting with some some friends and, and relatives and such. And then at about 17 or 18, I, I met a, a gentleman through a girl I was dating. Um, his name is Roy Fansler, and he was running Britney Spaniels and field trials. And uh, interesting story. This, is, this, this story, I think, is in the book. Um, I got invited to go hunting with him through... This girl's her name's Linda. Um, her father and brother. And if you've ever, you know, gone hunting with someone who's who's got access to private property, you don't invite someone else, not without telling the person, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's kind of a faux pas right there. So, I I show up and uh, 
and and meet him and you can tell he's an old marine he's 85 now and we still we still keep in contact he's a great guy and anyhow um i could tell he was a little bit uh annoyed i would say with with the, the guys bringing somebody that he didn't know um he he was running two britneys that day and i didn't have a dog and uh i watched his dog's work now i had i had run with pointers and, and dogs a lot before then but i had never run with dogs of this caliber mm. and they were honoring and you know pointing and holding steady and i was just like wow i was in awe yeah the kind of that moment where it's just like oh this is what a dog can do (laughs) this is the real deal huh (laughs) um so i just conducted myself as i was brought up i was you know very kind to everybody i i when if i shot and even if i thought i hit a bird whether i did or not if somebody else said oh i got that i just shut up i never i never said oh i got that bird or or anything of that nature i uh I, I just tried to conduct myself as as a as a appropriate hunter that was invited someplace, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the end of the day, uh, old Roy he comes up to me and I'm sitting down. He sits down next to me and he goes, "Hey kid, because you can hunt with me anytime you want. You don't have to come with these guys over here. <laughs> you just give me a call." And he gave me his number. And and ever since then, uh, we've hunted together off and on for for many many years. Uh, I got a German short hair shortly after that, that I ran in, uh, in some trials, NASTRA, North American shoot to retrieve. Mm, yeah. Um, and then he actually, uh, got me one, a Brittany from his line and I ran that and shoot to retrieve. Um, and my friend Bruce Collette, um, him and I had gone up to get a Miller's chief pointer. Uh, oh, so you're asking how long ago this was a long time ago. <laughs> it's gotta be about 40 years ago, maybe 35 to 40 years ago. And, uh, and we started running that dog in Nastra field trials also. And, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of where I got into the field trial stuff through, through Roy and then Bruce and I going out and meeting a lot of different people. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I know that you're doing this podcast is because in the book, I mentioned that I probably learned more sitting around with people talking who knew, knew dogs Mm -hmm. just in conversation i learned way more than than i have you know reading and trying to go to clinics and stuff like that although i do all that i wrote a book and i and i give clinics (laughs) yeah you got you got one this next weekend actually (laughs) i do yeah i have a clinic next week and let me shoot myself in the foot here um (laughs) but uh one of the reasons you said you wanted to do this is because you know it's like talking to somebody um but there was a guy named Rick Lamb that I sh- sat in his truck while we ran field trials, and he he ran English setters, and that guy shared more knowledge than I can that I could ever imagine, you know. Just and I just listened, um, as I mentioned in the book. If you had somebody who knows what they're talking about that wants to tell you something, shut up and listen. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. Just just be quiet, and then uh, you know, Roy taught me a lot. I learned a lot through field trials, and then versatile hunting dogs. Uh, um, my friend bob ferris talked me taught me quite a bit about versatile hunting dogs i had no clue what a duck search was when i got into versatile hunting i mean yeah, I yeah. pointer so uh, mm-hmm. you know so which do technically qualify for navda you can you can run a pointer in navda correct yeah yeah and english setters running mm-hmm. i mean uh, they, you know you can, they're, they're they're versatile to a to a you know certain extent but yeah our focus was on the pointing you know i wasn't a waterfowl hunter when i was young i got into that for my dogs later on and now i have my own place with three duck blinds and goose hunting and all yeah, that stuff yeah. but mm-hmm. uh it was more about the upland and watching the dog work and the pointing and and that's still my love yeah 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 Um, yeah that was kind of that first thing that you described of seeing the dog you know pointing and the honoring and and all that stuff is just a thing of beauty and i mean you're right there really is i mean a good a good blind retrieve is a is a really cool thing but man a dog on point is just it's a thing of beauty (laughs) yeah it is you know i've learned that because you train for the duck search um and and now my dogs retrieve tons of ducks and there is there is a thrill to sending your dog out and it disappears in the toolies or whatever and it's gone Mm -hmm. for five minutes or what you know what have you i've got a lot of stories uh, uh, and out it comes with with the with this with this uh 
um, duck in his mouth. That's that's really a thrill. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, is it okay if I t- tell stories? Here oh, too? yeah, please, not, please. I've got another book that's going to come out. It's going to be more tales, and some of these, I'm probably alluding to some of the stories that might be in the book, but um, talking about duck searches. My friend Bruce and I were hunting a WMA, a wildlife management area, um, many, many years ago. And I had uh, my girl, Coda, with me. And when we hunt, well, when we used to hunt uh, public land, we would walk. And we were, we were both walkers. So we would hike out a mile and a half, two miles, just in the what's called free roam. and get way the heck out there where, mm-hmm. where we can, you know, have our spots that we knew produced. And so we walk way out there one day. And, and I am uh, sitting there, and we got a couple of ducks. And... And I see this snow goose fly over me, and it's it's in season, and and I'm watching it fly over me. I'm going, oh man, that's a that's a loner by itself, and I'm watching it, and it's coming, and it's coming, it's coming from behind me actually, and I'm saying, oh, that's that's going to come right over me, and all of a sudden, bam, it drops right behind me in the water, and that's you know it's probably seventy yards behind me. I had no clue anybody was out there none i hadn't heard a shot all morning long mm-hmm. and so i'm you know i'm waiting for a little bit and i don't hear anything so i it, it, there's a bank behind me because these are like rice rice fields and i come up and i look and there's a young man out there he's probably 14 15 years old and he's waiting out there trying to find this goose and so uh i i walk out there and and i go hey i said uh you need some help and and he goes, yeah. He goes, I, I dropped a goose in the duck here. And I go, you dropped a duck here? And he, and he said, yeah. And I said, well, I didn't even know anybody was, was hunting back here. And he said, well, my father and I, we're way down the road over there. And I hit this green head and it, and it, and it you know, cupped and just went for a long ways. And I know it went down in here someplace. And I said, mm-hmm. well, let me, let me help you out. So I sent Coda in and she went and got the goose. We knew where that was at. And then he showed me where he thought the 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 mallard had, had dropped and I sent Coda in and she went in and made a right turn and went into a whole different area of Thule's and, and he started talking. It's kind of funny. He's like, no, no, no. The bird went to the left and went to the left inside that way. And I was like, just, uh-huh. just, 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 we'll wait it out. We'll see what the dog does. And sure enough, you know, a few minutes later out, she comes from the Thule's on the complete opposite side is where he thought that bird was. Yeah. It was yeah. there at one time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she comes out with, with the bird and he's just thrilled. So I hand him his bird and, and I, and I, I tell him, Hey, if you, if you need any more help, just let me know. I'll be here. And he goes, okay, great. Thanks. So he leaves and, and I'm sitting there hunting and about, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes, an hour later, all of a sudden I, I hear behind me, I hear a soft boy voice, sir, sir. And so I stand up, I go, yeah. He goes, you know, you said, you said you might need to offer to help. I got another duck down over there by my dad and we can't find it. Would you mind, would you mind? helping us said, no mm-hmm. not at all so same scenario go over there send coda in boom out she goes does her duck search comes back with a duck hanging out of her mouth and, and you know give him his duck and all that's great and so I'll walk off and finish my day and bruce and i are walking back to check out and on the other side of the irrigation or the, or the, the canal the the father and son are walking and they've got the, the goose and the ducks around their neck and i and i mentioned i go uh Hey, looks like you guys had a great day. Congratulations. And the kid gets the biggest smile on his face. He goes, we had a fabulous day. My dad now says, we're going to go get us a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it, I mean, even just having a dog, because I, I had a, a season of life where I didn't have any hunting dogs. And, and I just, I almost just didn't bird hunt because I'm, the difference between hunting with a, with a dog and without is just, I mean, it's night and day. It's absolutely night and day. Yeah, so. I, I'm I'm so bad. I, I I won't. I don't. Not only won't hunt with dogs, but I get invited to a lot of places for, from a lot of people from just traveling around the country to hunt in in places where you can't bring your own dog. Mm. But if I can't bring my own dog, I don't go. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, I need to. I need to hunt with my with my bird dogs. So, um, so anyhow, that's you know the start I got, and then. Uh, um, got into the versatile stuff and, you know, then got into judging. Uh, um, I judged Chris for the AWPGA and did apprentice in NAFTA and um, did field trials for the AWPGA and just, you know, testing, training, mm-hmm. doing all that stuff. And, and then, but soon as hunting season rolls along, 
Okay. Yeah, it's all bets are off. Yep, That's done. what I'm doing. Yep, yep, yep. This September, as soon as September starts, I'll do a dove hunt here, and then I'm headed straight to uh, Montana for sharp tail and stuff. So you know, once the once the season rolls, me me and my dogs are gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, makes perfect sense. Uh so that, that kind of leads us in a little bit. So right now, uh, I think you mentioned earlier that this summer you've worked with 33 different dogs. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot. Yeah, that's a ton. For me, that's a ton. That's more than I've ever worked with. Um, and that's and, and then I have another guy coming in. I've got the clinic coming this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, I have a, a, a gentleman coming from out of state for three days in, in August. So that'll be the 34th dog. Um I, I did that this year. I don't normally do near that much, but the 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 book has really taken off. You mm-hmm. know, it is. It, I'm I'm amazed. I'm in awe. I'm honored, and I have a lot of people um, that are calling throughout the United States to come spend some time with me and, and their dogs, as well as you know mm-hmm. local folks around here. Um, I think I've had twelve people come from out of state, uh, Minnesota, Arizona, Wyoming, Oregon, Washington State, uh, and that, I can't even remember them all. Um and they bring their dogs and they stay for, you know, usually two, three days or so and mm-hmm. we try to work on whatever it is they need to be worked on and yeah. uh, that's gone real well. But yeah, thirty three dogs so far and uh, I'm getting a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ready for a uh, for hunting season to take a break. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You showed up today, and I just finished up with two dogs. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's getting warm out there today. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it, well, it's been warm all week, and it's supposed to be warm for the next week or so too. Yeah, but so obviously, or maybe maybe not obviously, maybe not everybody knows this, but you haven't you know just done dog training your whole life. So maybe tell us a little bit about some of the other like jobs that you've had and specifically I want you to talk about if there's anything from those other uh, professions, other things that you've done that kind of help you think about dog training differently. Well, that's no fun. That's not dogs. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I'll answer your question. And yes, there is one thing spe- specifically that really has uh, um put a a foundation for my dog training in place and that's my martial arts um and i'll get into that in a little bit but i've i've done a lot of things i've been a little bit of an entrepreneur i owned a owned a restaurant owned a construction company owned a real estate company a dog kennel for breeding i actually worked at a hospital facility where i um Ran the, the uh, facility department, not the hospital itself, but the um, biomed bio en- engineering department and, mm-hmm. you know, other things like that. Um, and that, did, I, did I read in there that you coached baseball at a couple different oh, levels as well? Yeah, I coached baseball. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I've always liked to work with children um, a lot. Mm-hmm. I, you know, martial arts, I did a lot with children and then coach baseball, coach soccer, you know, that kind of stuff growing up. So, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've done all that. I got four really great boys. The sons were very, very close. So I was active in their sports activities. Um, I coached my son, Michael, all my sons actually, but Michael was a world-class archer when he was young. He broke a lot of records. He was really well known in the archery world. Um, so I did a lot of coaching, but the, the martial arts, um, training and I, and I fought a full contact. Um, and then I taught for many years, uh, in martial arts, there's a, there's a, there's a phrase I, I coined in my, uh, in my dog training is repetition creates an automatic response. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, and, and I usually use, um, a, a, a teaching a kid, if I show a child how to get away from somebody, say when somebody grabs them by the arm, and I teach them the move to get away, and they do it once, and then I come back a week later, and they haven't practiced, and I grab their hand, they have to think about it, or I have to show them the move over, and and then they do it a couple more times, and again, two weeks goes by, and I grab their arm, and they have to think about how to do the move. That's one student. I have another student who comes and I show them the same move and they go home and practice with their dad or mom that move 15 or 20 times an, an evening and they come back the following week. They've done it hundreds of times. I grab their hand and they, they do it. They don't have to think about it. They know what to do. They might look at their hand or arm and do the move. They do that a thousand times, 
2,000 times and you grab them and it automatically comes out. They don't mm-hmm. think about it, which is one reason that people are at a, a high caliber martial arts don't like to, you know, play around where you grab them and do that stuff because a move might come out where they might hurt you and they're not even thinking about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I transfer that into dog training and I'll just use whoa for, 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 uh, for an example. Um, I woe my dog throughout the day, every day from, from, well, when, when, when I have a litter, I, at six weeks old, I have the dog, all the puppies in a pen and I feed them outside of the pen. So what I will do is I will, I will bring the dog food and I'll pound the bowl. So making a loud sound. And, and as they're watching, they're all piled up at the, at the gate to get out. I will say, whoa, and they all have to just wait and I'll say, whoa, whoa. And I'll set the, the dog, uh, bowl down food bowl and then i'll have someone open the, the pen gate and, and when they open the gate i'll say come you know my recall command and they'll come flying to the food so from six weeks on if i have a litter they're already hearing whoa and they're yeah. already hearing yeah. a recall command well after that with my pups they they have to whoa before they go to their dog bowl to eat they have to whoa before they go outside they have to whoa before they go into the car they have to whoa before they come out of the car at a street corner they have to whoa so they 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 are wo- are being placed in the woe position, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 times throughout the day. And by the time they're three, four, five months old, you say, whoa, and they just stop mm-hmm. because they, you know, they, they've just done it all their life. And CK, when, when he was young, he was about, oh, I don't know. I'm going to say around four months old, 12 weeks old or so. He, he was at a friend of mine's house who lives on a busy street out here in Idaho, actually by the highway. And we were visiting and we went to leave and opened the door from the porch and they had some feral cats out there and they had three kittens. I remember it was three, three kittens came flying out from under the porch, running straight to the busy street. And CK went flying out the door on the porch and just instinctively I yelled, whoa, Mm -hmm. and he's just slammed slammed into a whoa he just stopped right there of course i re- reached out and grabbed him real quickly because you know that yeah, was an yeah. automatic response the secondary response might have been oh forget about this whoa i'm gonna go get those kids <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right <laughs> but that's the that automatically he didn't think about it he heard the whoa the word whoa and he and he stopped mm-hmm. that comes that repetition creates an automatic response that comes from from the martial arts background and yeah uh, you know, you can do that with a lot of stuff. Whenever a puppy's coming to you, give your recall command. I do that all the time, regardless if it's coming to you, you get home from work, if it's coming to your food bowl, no, when it, no matter when the dog's coming to you, the pup, you give your recall command and the pup will learn that by mm-hmm. just osmosis, like a child learns its, its natural language. Yeah, well, and that ties in with one of the other things you talk about is that ultimately you're always kind of training. I mean, there's the formal sessions that you do but even like there, you know, there's always that they're always learning. And, uh, and so that kind of ties into that. If you can create those repetitions in everyday life, it makes it so when you get out in the field, it's just that much more natural for them. Yep. 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 And, and that's a good point. You're always training and, and people don't realize that. In fact, today, uh, my friend Jim was out there with his dog, um, one of the pups that I was training before you got here and his dog was going after a bird and running for a while, and we wanted to get get it back in position for the next bird, and his recall command is here, and so he yelled here, chipper here, and then he yelled it the third time, chipper here, and he went went to say it again, and I said, don't use that word again, Jim, and he was like, huh? And I said, say something else, like, hey, 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 let's go, let's go, or something else, Mm -hmm. because you're always training your dog, regardless of if you're in the store, if you're on the field, or in your house, if you're using that recall command and your pup or dog hasn't come to you on the second command, you better use something else because if you're using it a third, fourth, fifth, or sixth time and the mm-hmm. dog's disobeying you, now you're teaching it that it doesn't have to obey. Yeah, yeah. So, it, can, it conditions them that like, well, there's not really anything that happens. Right, exactly. And so I mentioned to Jim, I said, now, you know, get them back over here with some other command. We'll walk away from them or whatever. And then after we're done, walk away for a little while, put them on a lead and give them the recall command and make them come to you, you know, reestablish it. Here means here. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so when I say you're always training your dog, you're always training it when, whether you believe it or not, what you're doing 
is affecting how your dog will behave in the future. And not only you, and there's going to be a lot of people that relate to this, but other folks in your family. So mm-hmm. the consistency breeds confusion. Yeah, yeah. When so, uh, as I mentioned uh, in in the introductory episode, my my wife did not want dogs. Like that was that was not a thing that she was like, oh yeah, sign me up for that. Uh, and and so there was there was some things that you know she was like, you know, well, I mean, you're going to be able to train it, right? I was like, I am. But you have to like <laughs> what I like you. You kind of have to listen to what I say. And if you tell the dog to do something, she needs to do it as well. Yep. Like, yep. you know, I because because that was another thing is just, you know, I didn't want a dog that only listened to me. Yep. You know, but that that consistency with, you know, listen to her and does a good job with her. And, and they she, she picked, you know, she was like, OK, we can do that. You know, that's interesting. I'm going to I'm going to share a little maybe maybe a tip here or a pro tip on on testing dogs Um, and uh, and also in guiding hunts and and working with people. I do a lot of guided hunts for use and and, uh, military and and other things of that nature. And when I'm training my dogs to to a higher level, you know, we'll stay completely steady to uh, flush wing shot and fall. I will have a couple of gunners or a couple of people out there with me. And many times I will have someone other than myself enforce the steadiness, meaning I might have somebody else say, well, if the dog moves, I'll have somebody else go pick up that dog and set it back in its original position. Mm -hmm. Because I want the dog to realize that anybody here can correct me if I do something wrong out in this field. So I better stay put until I'm released. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're out testing and it's got three judges around and maybe an apprentice judge and, and, and a couple gunners, that dog is thinking, I'm not moving because any of these folks <laughs> can, can. And same thing when I'm guiding a hunt, you know. Um, I, want, I want, you might have a couple of young kids there and then mentors or safety personnel that are with the, with the young children to make sure everything's safe. Well, mm-hmm. I want my dog to know, you know, even, even though George here is 45 yards away, these guys are standing right here. I'm not going to move because they can, they can correct me also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it kind of, because, you know, I, the adage that I've uh, heard a bunch of times is, is the thought that, you know, if you think you're important, try telling another man's dog what to do. <laughs> and, and it, and it kind of, you know, and it seems to stem from this idea that, you know, the training only only happens with the one person and so that you know the dog just doesn't it only listens to them because it knows that there are you know it doesn't have to listen to anybody else right so i think that's a i think that's really good because i think that probably would make people's like you know socialization with the dog being able to take the dog other places besides just out in the field it sounds like that would make a pretty big difference on that. Yeah, it, it, it uh, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a pack mentality in the dog mentality in the dog. And, uh, um, so there in the dog's mind, my opinion is it has to realize where it's at. And once it does, the life is better. It, everything works better. I mean, if it listens to you and it mm-hmm. performs well, it gets to go out more, it sees more birds. And so, you know, on a football team, you, ha- you have the coach, you have the head coach, right? And then you have the, you have the offensive coach and then you have the quarterback and then you have the, the rest of the people on the team, whatever all, whatever the positions they are. Well, you know, when you're on the field, the quarterback tells you what to do. As a team, you listen to the quarterback. But mm-hmm. if the head coach tells you what to do, you listen to the head coach, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so the in the in the pack, there's there's that kind of uh, nuances on on, you know, uh, a, a dog is not going to mind everyone. In fact, it will be wary of some people. And if it is, I'm then I'm concerned. Um, but um, it certainly needs to know that that in the hunting field, everyone out there is is part of the team that's in control as well as the dog the dog mm-hmm. has its part everybody else does so we all work as a team regardless who's standing there yeah yeah that's really good um let's go ahead and move on to uh to another topic here so in your book um and and, and this is one of the things that i really like about the book is that it's not a like a to Z step by step, do this in this order every single time. You kind of, you know, you, you you talk about how there's lots of different ways that you can 
do things and even the orders should sometimes should be different. And it's about reading the dog and figuring some of that kind of stuff out. Um, but one of the things is it specifically, I mean, so you're focused on versatile breeds here. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, German short hairs, German wire hairs, Britney's griffs, you know, basically if poodle you go to, po- yeah. yeah, poodle yeah. pointers, yeah. you go, if you go to the, the NAVDA website yeah, and see their there's, eligible there's, breeds, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of them. There's a ton. Um, yeah. bunch of setters. And, yeah. I worked with the setter two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering if there's anything specifically that because I mean you have experience beyond just first style breeds. In fact, you didn't you didn't start with them. No. Nope. Uh, what are some of the the things that like do you think that this book would be valuable to somebody who like has a lab or something like? I mean, obviously there's going to be some things that don't apply to them, but do you see there being like good overlap on some things that might be helpful for for people that that have. You know, because I, I know a lot of people who have a pointing breed and a retrieving breed. Um, so, yeah, any 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 thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, going through the going through the book um, and it's, this is not a, about just selling my book. In fact, it's not about selling the book. So I'm, I don't want people to think I'm just saying go to the book. But in the book, I, I go through um, how to train a versatile hunting dog. And I and I start with the pointing and obedience and things of that nature. I think that's important to get it out front first, because if you train, this can happen, doesn't always happen, but if you train too much for a retrieve with a pointing dog, especially a dog like a Griff or a Brittany or a Poodle Pointer who really likes to please, Mm -hmm. um, you can have a dog start breaking point to please you because you, you have taught it that, Oh, Good boy, good girl. Yeah, yeah the, the best thing that it can do is bring you back the bird. So it goes to go on point and it goes, well, I'll just grab the bird so I can take it back to him. He's going to be happy or her, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I kind of do things in a sequence that a versatile dog will understand as it moves forward. Mm-hmm. And I adjust the training. Like you say, I read the dog. You know, there might be 15 different ways of doing woe, but I might use four of them for this dog because it's really getting it. Um, but I do it in a sequence so the versatile dog can start as a puppy and then be finished as a complete bird dog in water and in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but in each of those area, areas, you know, in, in teaching how to handle a dog and play the baseball game, there's different variations of that for retrievers. That's in the book, you know, mm-hmm. um, force fetch, which is, my, you know, a lot of lab and retriever people use that. That's in the book. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of stuff in there that you can, you know, pointers who don't want to have their dogs retrieve it there's a lot in there about bringing out the pointing instinct and you know steadiness and all that so yeah Mm -hmm. you could take from not having a versatile hunting dog you could take still a lot out of the book but i think i would like to mention that that i've had people tell me that in the book i'm I'm talking a lot about bonding with the dog mm-hmm. and I'm talking a lot about reading the dog and using what works for the dog, makes the dog understand. And once the dog understands and gets rewarded for understanding and life is good, then then things work out way better in the long run. Everybody's yeah. happy. And I've had folks tell me that they like to read the book, not only for the dog training, but just because of all the stuff that's mentioned in there is real life stuff that can be applied to a lot of life in itself. Yeah. Yeah. As well as a lot of just regular dog training, not even bird dog training. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I, yeah, I think there's a lot in there for everybody, but, uh, you know, it's written for versatile hunting dog training, but there's a lot of neat stories in there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's almost worth it as a person who loves stories and sometimes to my, uh, (laughs) My wife wishes I didn't tell as many stories. I mean, even just that piece was just was was awesome. But okay, well, great. Um, so one of the so you mentioned the the book is specifically set up to you know start with the puppy um, and kind of work work through. In fact, the the bulk of the book is about that first year um, and the things that you think are important in that and it walks through that great. Uh, how do you think you might change or what, how, how do you think you might help somebody adjust the book a little bit if they had, you know, they picked up um, like a rescue dog that was three or four years old, didn't have any hunt training, you know, how, 
I think that the book has a lot of valuable things for that person as well. But how, how do you think, how, how would you maybe tell them to maybe, you know, approach things a little bit differently than you would somebody who's coming home with an eight week old puppy? Well, it's interesting that, that you should ask that question in that way. And I've worked with a number of rescue dogs and I can tell you a story that's not in the book. That's, that's just a great story. But, um, I probably had, I like I'm at 33 dogs, probably out of those 33 dogs, I probably half of them were, were pups that were just brought just to take, take the puppy up. Mm-hmm. The other half were dogs that have a problem. They're, they're coming to me because there's a challenge somewhere. And out of that other half, probably at least half of those were not pointing, um, at least. So I had dogs come from all over the country and around here that they were pointing dogs. They might be one, two, three, four years old that, that aren't pointing and they're supposed to be pointing dogs. Mm-hmm. They, that usually goes back to something that has been trained, like they're shooting a lot of birds over the, over the dog that hasn't pointed or they're focused on the retrieve and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I always go back to the basics. I take every dog. I start it on a lead. I, I, I start it like it's a puppy, even if it's a three or four year old dog, because I want it to have the foundational sequence of mm-hmm. if I stay here, I get a bird. If I break, I don't. And, and I want it to learn that it can't catch a bird and then maybe take the chase away. So I don't think there's a huge difference in bringing a dog that's, that's older than a puppy. If you're talking about hunt training yeah. Um, and, but you have to read the dog, right? Um, yeah. Which is, which is the key that you, I mean, you bring that up a lot in the book is, well, you know, you got to read the, yeah. it's, it's almost like this repetitive thing that just keeps coming back, but it's, I mean, because it's a true thing and, and all these different aspects being able to read the dog well. Yeah. And when I say reading the dog, there's, there's, you know, nuances in reading the dog, but there's also stuff that's, that's blatantly, obvious if you just watch what's going on what works with the dog and i won't go back to humans i said you know people say in the book that you you know just life in general it's had some information i have i have four sons and i can tell you (laughs) they're going to hear this and go dad (laughs) (laughs) Um, my son michael and nick both very smart michael was a great archer nick's a genius and, and, and he's at uc davis right now their personalities are completely different on what works with them. And, and what I mean by that is, is if Michael wasn't doing something that he should be, let's say he's, he's not doing his homework and he's not getting stuff done. And if I, you know, and if I said, you know, Michael, come on, you got to do a great job. You know, I'm proud of how far you've gone. And, and now you're, you're slacking. Come on, get it up. He'd go like, yeah, so what, you know, <laughs> but if I said, Michael, I'm taking your phone away for the next week until you get those grades up and you're not going outside, he would be, okay, well, I better get my butt in gear, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Now, if I said that to Nick, Nick could hand me the phone. He would go, well, here you go, take the phone, you know? But if I if I said, you know, Nick, great job, keep it up. He's going, okay, thanks, Dad. He's mm-hmm. going to, you know, so two different from the same from the same family, right? Yeah, I, I yeah. almost said for the same litter. They'd really get mad at me for that. <laughs> um, but you know, two different styles. So I, when you when you look at, at 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 pups and dogs, you read them to what works with them. Um, I had two poo- poodle pointers here either last year or the year before. Um, they actually came in from Hawaii, and they were from the same litter, and they were completely opposite. One was just very shy and very you know, just timid. And the other one was, was a bull in a China closet. And so <laughs> we trained them together sometimes and, and one after another, mm-hmm. I used totally different techniques for both those dogs from the same litter. And, yeah. and now, now that little shy, timid one is a bold rock star, you know, and the other, the other guy's still bold, but it just, you know, mm-hmm. whatever worked. In fact, the other one we had to bring down a little bit. So yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I'm, I've kind of even run into that with my two griffs. Uh, they're two years apart. Um, com, you know, diff, different breeders, but, uh, my older one, she, she definitely has a lot more of that. Like, but I, in fact, the trouble sometimes is getting her to hunt for me and not just for herself. And then Hallie, my younger one is her drive to please is 
that's her that appears to be her main drive um she's as she's gotten a little bit more on bird she's starting to figure out like oh this is like i liked the bird part yeah but you know she so often just like will look at you like is this right yeah and and sadie my older one like almost never did that (laughs) but hallie is very much like i'm getting this right right (laughs) yep yeah two different personalities and you know you have to train them to to get to the same achieve the same goal get to the same place Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you have to use the same techniques yeah yeah use what works for the dog and 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 i'm gonna go back just because this story's not in the book either and and uh just because of the question you asked on a, on a rescue dog or something, I'll tell you a quick story of a rescue dog that was brought to me probably two years ago, maybe last year. I don't know. My memory might have been three years ago. Anyhow, um, I had somebody bring a, a, a German short hair young dog. It was about nine months old or so, and it was a rescue dog and wanted to get it introduced to birds and pointing and gunfire and all that stuff. So I worked mm-hmm. with that dog. The dog worked out great. It was it was a it was a rock star. It did really well. Well, they referred me to somebody else who came with another rescue, German Shorthair, another young dog, and, and that dog, you know, was, was fine. And then I got a phone call from a lady, and uh, she had an 11-year-old German Shorthair, and she said that she had heard about me and that she and her husband had rescued this dog, and the person who had had the dog had actually been caught doing something very bad to the dog. I don't know if he got arrested or what have you, but the dog came mm-hmm. from a really bad, bad situation, and the dog was just afraid of people. And yeah, yeah. And you know, she, God bless her. She, she, she said, you know, I would before this dog leaves leaves our world, I'd like it to know why it was really born. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I might get emotional here because it was a pretty touching <laughs> story. Um, so they bring this dog to me, and my friend Bruce Collette happens to be here um, hanging out. And, and I, you know, before I do anything with the dog, I always, I always get a bunch of information because usually, and not so much on a rescue, but usually you can find where something came off the tracks. What's the root cause of a problem if a dog's having a problem? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I asked them what was going on, and they said, well, the dog's gun shy. It's people shy. It's never seen a bird. It's, it, 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 it wets itself when it's around people and so on. I'm like, okay. Um, so they brought the dog to me, and sure enough, they get it out of the car, and it tucks its tail, and it gets between the, the guy's legs, and my, my friend's Bruce there, and I, I start talking to the dog. I get down on my knees and uh, actually got down on my knees and then crossed my legs and sat down low so the dog would feel comfortable and look right at me and mm-hmm. started talking to the dog and, you know, reaching out, pet it, let it smell me and all that stuff and got the dog a little bit more comfortable. And as we move forward, I got a bird out and I was afraid of the bird. So I, uh, I took the bird in my hand and I uh, um, put out a wing and I just sat there with it and Sooner or later, the dog starts sniffing and reached out and, you know, got interested in the wing and could smell the bird and so on. And then I walked out in the field a little ways away and I threw the bird up and boy, it's like its ears and, you know, all of a sudden its body language changed. It's like, ooh, mm-hmm. what was that, you know? So I won't go through the whole story, but um, I, I tried some loud noises and, you know, some people believe that, you know, you don't need to do a loud noise, just get your get your, your dog out there and shoot it over a bird. I, I don't believe that. If the dog is noise sensitive, it's probably going to be gun sensitive or gun shy. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to know that. I want to know what yeah, I'm Yeah, it's, it's a good indication of that. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean it will be, and it doesn't necessarily mean it won't be, but boy, if, if it is, I'm really got, I'm, I'm attuned to what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So I did some loud noises around the dog. I actually had Bruce do them as well. We were playing and doing things, and, and the dog you know, flinched and did stuff, but not bad at all. And long story short, start working with this dog, finally got it to, to start chasing birds and playing with the bumper a little bit. And, and I realized this dog is not gun shy because we started making noise and shooting a starter pistol and then a, and then a low caliber. This dog's not gun shy. It's mm-hmm. everything shy. Once it gets over that fright, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, got it over that and got it on birds and put it on a check cord and got it into a point. And then the light came on. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you that when this dog 
rocked its first point and wouldn't move. There was tears in everybody's eyes. Yeah. And, uh, and so we waited. I always let him try to make a mistake and it moved and the bird flushed and, and we went through a couple of birds and then it just started holding really well. So I said, Let, let's, let's shoot a bird over this dog for its first time in its life. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, Bruce probably going to kill me about this. Um, so I had the guy and Bruce, you know, both have shotguns and we brought the dog in. I, I planted a chucker. I like to, I like to finish a dog on a real game bird if I can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were working pigeons and then we worked to the chucker. And uh, sure enough, it points well, chucker flies up and they both miss. And I was like, oh, dang it. So <laughs> uh, I had another chucker uh, uh, not too far away because we were doing a couple of chuckers. Same thing, you know, and I got to tell you, I've missed my share. When those when those birds come flying up and you've got to shoot over a dog and you're yeah, nervous, yeah. you know, it's it's easy to miss. Uh, yeah, and it's just no different than in the field. Like the time I was out chucker hunting with a buddy and he got he got a chucker, he got the first one. And then my dog watched me miss three neck, the three next birds. <laughs> and she started hunting with him more yeah, than she was yeah. hunting with me. She's like, you don't hit anything. I'm going over there. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I've had that happen too. <laughs> uh, so, so they missed the second one and that was all I had in the field at the time we'd worked a few birds. And, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, we have to get it a bird for this dog yeah and i have a front field the front location you've been at my place but we were out in the in the further fields and so i said just start working the dog i'm gonna i'm gonna run back so i ran and i grabbed another chucker and i planted it in the front field and i said okay let's work our way back and we worked our way back into the first field and sure enough that dog just locked up on a beautiful point flushed the bird they hit the bird and it dropped that dog ran out <clears throat> grabbed it and brought it back in and the lady was crying she was just mm-hmm. crying. <coughs> Excuse me. No, you're I'm good. Gonna, I'm going to need to drink water. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so while he, he takes a drink real quick, we're actually uh, just got a couple more questions that we're going to talk about. Uh, I just want to remind people that, um, so George and I are having a great conversation. Uh, this These questions that have come up, um, I've, I've come up with. But if you have questions, you can actually send them in to the tips and tails podcast at gmail.com. Um, and I will be uh, monitoring that and hopefully we'll have some good questions for future episodes. So don't forget that you can check that out. Uh, the tips and tails podcast at gmail.com. Okay. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, No, you're good. <laughs> I had to get a drink of water there. And uh, anyhow, she, uh, she literally started crying and of course, we all had tears in our eyes and she said, you don't know what you've done for this, this dog. And for us, we now know that, that he knows what he was born to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was wonderful. And you know, I, I, I went back to the basics with that dog. It was an 11 year old dog. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so it kind of goes back to, cause I, I remember talking with you, um, earlier uh i think at a, at a different time but you were talking about that that you know that's how you inter- generally will introduce yourself to most dogs is you know getting down on the ground and you know having the bird and just doing that that basic introduction stuff so that's that's great to hear you know to kind of confirm for people like you know the, there are a bunch of these things that can be used no matter how what the age of the dog but that importance of getting to the basics getting that foundation built because then you can actually really build something that is substantial and will last in that dog's life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the bond between uh, anybody, man, woman, child, and a dog is, is special, but I, I, I believe, and yeah, I might be biased. Um, other than some military and, and police officers and a few other things, but the bond between a honey dog and a hunter is really deep you become a team and um the trust that the dog has in you and you trust the dog Mm -hmm. um, that's a special bond and when you're out by yourself in the uplands or or in the wetlands and it's you and your dog and and you're embedded in nature and you're working as a team that just creates a bond that I think is very, very special. And in fact, I think the beginning of the book, it says something like how to enhance the bond with your dog, because I believe mm-hmm. that's a special, uh, that's a special part of being a hunting dog um, and being a hunting dog owner is the bond and the team, the team concept out there. So, yeah. Well, I mean, even the, 
at the the bottom of the cover of your book it's you know a sharing of knowledge stories and skills to build a solid partnership with your hunting companion there you go yeah and i and i think that i i really like that word companion in there because it's not just a like business relationship between you and your dog um you know that's something that uh that my wife figured out like she she's not a hunter she doesn't go hunting with me but you know having a dog and have and she realized like oh dang like there's a connection between myself and this dog and even more so when she she actually started to try to uh, develop that a little bit more because she wanted it more. Mm-hmm. You know, she saw the dog's connection with me and start to felt, you know, feel that herself. And, and, and which is why we ended up with the second one. She's like, <laughs> no, we, we both need a dog that uh, can sit at our feet or sit in our lap if we wanted to <laughs> from, from no dog to no, we both need our own. Oh, yes, and, and if <laughs> I'm pretty sure she, she is very much in love as mo- as a lot of people are with the puppy phase. And she's like, gosh, if, if we could just have, you know, a puppy every couple of years, I would absolutely love it. I was like, I know, but our bank account wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and neither would our, our space in our house, but (laughs) well, as we, so let's, we'll kind of move on a little bit. Uh, so I think this is, this is a good, good next question. It might be our last question. We'll see how long this takes. So talking about, you know, reading those cues. So even thinking about the story of this 11 year old dog and kind of figuring out, you know, you know, it's not just gun shy, it's everything shy. And, uh, and then figuring out, you know, the cues of, okay, it's over this, this, you know, these things change. If you were to tell a first time dog owner, dog handler, like, what are some of those basic cues that you, you know, obviously there's the, the, some of the obvious ones like, you know, tail tucked wetting itself, you know, mm-hmm. but what, what are, what are some of the, the main cues that you look for that tell you either I need to back off or I need, I can move forward with a, with a piece of training? Well, um, you know, body language obviously is one. You can read the body language of a dog and a puppy if you, if, if you're watching it, but also, doing things in in a manner in a sequence that the dog understands so sometimes reading the dog is is realizing that it doesn't understand something Mm -hmm. and so then you try a different technique and you can see that the dog starts getting it and that's where you go to you go okay i'm going to use this technique because it works for that dog and I'll, i'll just use i'll use treats now i don't use a lot of treats because i think the the bond that you're building and the respect that you're building um you don't want to use a lot of treats because for one thing if you're using treats all the time who's training who are you training the dog to do something or is the dog training you to give it a treat yeah yeah i had a a college student that worked for me a couple years ago who had a, a corgi and they had trained it with treats and and to do like little trick stuff and he said that 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 dog knew whether or not you had a treat on you and if you tried to tell it to do something without a treat in your hand it just looked at you and went you want me to do what yeah yeah, i'm good i know you don't have that treat i'm not doing this (laughs) yeah yeah you got to do what i what i want you to do and that (laughs) is give me a treat so Mm -hmm. i've already trained you um but but if I have a dog that's treat oriented, I might use the treat to get the dog to comply to start with, to understand what I'm trying to get it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's not, I, 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 you know, in the book, I say something and I, I can't quote myself all the time, but, it, but I heard this a long time ago and it was something like, um, if I, if I hear a trainer say that, um, uh, my way is the best way and you have to do it that way then you should run away. And, mm-hmm. and I believe that wholeheartedly. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to, to, to train and do things. And I, uh, I, um, I think part of reading the dog is seeing that the dog understands, you know, if you, if you mm-hmm. try to do something one way and it doesn't work and try it another way and it works and the dog starts getting it, that's what you use. Um, body language, the tail, the eyes. You can look in a dog's eyes and see what it's doing, what its head does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's and it's just reaction. Is the dog having fun? One of the key things that I mentioned in the book is that first year is the dog's year, the puppy's year to learn, to explore, to have fun. 
you don't want to be hard on a hunting dog. A hunting dog is a little different than a, just a general companion dog. Because a general companion dog, you know, yeah, you have to have it heal. You have to have it sit. And you have to have it go different places. And remind me about Stafe. I just, just thought about something. Um, so you have, you have to have that dog under control. And that dog will mind you and do whatever it wants, or what, whatever you want it to, wherever you go. A hunting dog has to have the freedom to have a mind of its own mm-hmm. and maybe get completely out of out of range and out of distance of your eyesight and and have the confidence that it can go and do these things and you will appear and you will be a team. Yeah. So yeah. you have to be a little cautious at the beginning that your dog doesn't become what's called handler handler dependent. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in that first year you want to do things in a sequence where the dog understands the dog is happy. The dog learns to comply and then gets rewarded for, for complying, whether it be petting it, taking it on the field, tossing a bumper, giving it a treat, whatever the reward is, the dog puts it all together. Like, okay, I'm supposed to do this. I do this. It's fun. I get rewarded. Let's go do it again. Mm-hmm. And you can read that with what, what your dog's doing while it's complying and its, and its attitude. And uh, you use the technique, you know, the, that that it understands and that gets it to comply. And then it's happy when it's rewarded. So um, I do that. And I'm, I said, mention stay. And one of the things that I mentioned in the book, I'm going to just toss, toss this out here. I don't use the word stay. And what I mean by that is you can use the word stay um, in, in if you're going to tell your dog to stay or woe, other than woe. And, and, and let me just toss this out here. If you tell your dog to woe, it should stay in the standing position mm-hmm. until you release it, right? Yeah. If you tell your dog to sit, it should stay in the sitting position until you release it. If you tell it down or lay down, whatever you use, it should be laying down until you tell it to release it. Mm-hmm. Dogs like to have things fairly simple and understandable to them. So what I see a lot of people will go back to the, you know, what I was saying, you know, don't use your recall command too much. If it's not working, do something else because the dog will be learning not to not to come to the first two or three or four or five recall commands. If it doesn't come in two, stop using it, do something else and then enforce it later. Yeah. Well, when you use the word stay, it's a little confusing to the dog. So think of this. If I say, whoa, my dog's supposed to remain there until I release it. Yeah. If I say, whoa, stay, does that mean now it has to stay there until I release it? If I don't use the word stay, does it have to stay mm-hmm. in the whoa position for however long it feels necessary and then it can move? Stay is not needed. It shouldn't. It shouldn't um, even be added to the woe command because woe means woe. Mm-hmm. It means stay there until you is stay in that in that position until you're released. If you tell your dog to sit, the dog should sit there. So if you say sit, the dog should remain sitting. If it remove, if it stands up, you correct it. If you say sit, stay. Does that mean if you don't say stay, it doesn't have to stay remain yeah, sitting? Yeah, it adds so, it, it just puts on that another layer of complexity that's unnecessary. Unnecessary. And it mm-hmm. could confuse the dog in the long run because he didn't say stay this time or she didn't say stay this time. So I can go ahead and break on this bird because I didn't hear stay. Take it out of there. Don't don't even it's not needed. Now, some people say, Well, I use stand instead of woe. Okay, well whatever. Whatever word you want, you can use stay instead of woe or what you can use uh, you know, uh, mallard instead of woe if you want. It doesn't matter what the word is, yeah. as long as you're consistent on using that word. But don't don't add stuff there that doesn't need to be. Um does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. In fact, that's that's one of the things that I've been I've been working out of my vocabulary, actually because of the book. You know, I grew up uh, with labs, and it was very much a you know stay like that's what you're supposed to, you know that's I don't, it, it was just how I did it, and so yeah. So I've been working with my griffs to you know just give the command, and then they just hold it until until I release them, tell them to do something different. Cause I, yeah, cause that was that just sort of that realization of like, oh my gosh, I really am making it harder than it has to be. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. If the dog comes out of that position, whatever it be down, woe, sit, then you use the same command. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, something else I'll touch on is, um, is the command. No, a lot of folks don't realize that no is, it needs to be a command. Yeah. No, yeah. Means, you know, stop it. And, you know, uh, 
a, a pup's mother, if it's doing the wrong thing, that pup's mother will take its nose and, and, and whack it with its nose or knock it over or whatever to have it stop doing stuff, something. Mm-hmm. When, when my pups are young, I will have them stop doing something and I will say no, whether it be I grab them by the collar and shake them and move them or I pull them away and, you know, whatever and say no and move them to something else. I want my, my dog and my pup to learn that no means that's not uh, that's not appropriate. Don't do that. Whether it be jumping or biting or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, the no commands becomes a command that you enforce just like you would enforce sit. If your dog didn't sit when you said sit, you would make it sit. If a dog doesn't stop what it's doing when you say no, you make it stop what it's doing. And the no becomes a command that it understands. So... If it moves on woe, I will say no, woe, and put it back in the same place it was when it started. So it realizes the no was because it moved. It did something it wasn't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm reinforcing the woe command, which is the original command. I'm not going to say no stay or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the dog puts things together really well as it matures, but try not to confuse it by adding things in there that are not, that are not needed. I guess yeah. That's, that's well, and I think that, and you've kind of actually, you've, you've kind of touched on what I was, what was going to be my last question was just that when it comes to commands, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, the, the word doesn't matter. A dog doesn't know English. It doesn't, or Spanish or any other language that somebody might be using with it. Uh, but the key is kind of that consistency and making sure that, you help the dog understand what that word means. Yep. 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 Being consistent with that word, everybody being consistent with that word, whatever Mm -hmm. that command is and enforcing it and, and don't overusing it when it's not able to be enforced. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, you know, that's exactly right. Um, Dogs can understand a, a, a lot of commands. And like you said, you can use any word, that you want and you know some people will use a different language to train their dogs because mm-hmm. they don't want somebody yeah else i've heard to, about to like uh uh um police dogs and stuff mm-hmm. that are they're actually trained in a different yeah, language yeah. and sometimes it's a, it's a practical thing because it means that somebody else can't give the command of the dog except for its handler yep but but yep. yeah yep yeah so um you know use whatever word whatever word you want to to make your dog comply to whatever action you're asking it to comply to, but be consistent with that. Mm-hmm. You know, don't use this one time. And then now you can other, you can add other commands to, to a compliance of, of whatever you're asking the dog or pup to do. And that's easy to do. We can go into that later, but you know, my dogs will, will woe with hand signal, with the whistle signal, with the voice signal. They'll woe with all of that, and no matter where they're at. Mm-hmm. They will they will recall to a, a hand signal, a voice signal, a whistle signal, a beeper. Um, so you can train your dogs that, that many different words mean the same thing or many different actions. My dog, Coda, is deaf now, and um, so she can't hear. So I have transferred from a voice to a beeper now she can't hear the beeper to a vibration to a hand signal and Mm. when i did my clinic last year um i might have mentioned this in the book or i mentioned it someplace i kind of felt bad for her because uh you know she has been my demonstration dog for years many many years you know eight nine years and and last year i didn't use her because um she can't hear and and ck her son he was my demonstration dog as well as a lot of other people's dogs who i who i borrowed to use during the clinic and i kind of felt bad that that she didn't get because she you know coda is like secretariat if you ever heard about the horse secretariat that that horse knew when it was on stage it could look at people and it pranced and it knew it wanted the attention. Coda was like that. She, she knew when she was doing a demonstration, she mm-hmm. was showing off and she, she, she made me who I am because how great she was. Um, and I felt bad. And then I got a, an email in a, in a, uh, um, a comment on my website and somebody put down that it was fantastic to watch, you know, CK do all the demonstrations and a couple other things. And then they said, and to watch, Coda work with hand signals all weekend long was amazing. Well, I 
I was just doing my normal thing with her with the hand signals, but everybody was watching on how how well she complied. Yeah, and, and it was yeah. just from transferring, transferring, you know, from voice to beeper to vibration to hand. So you can transfer a command to to um, to different, you know, like like I say, from a voice to a whistle. So so something that makes the dog understand to comply to that command in the same way. You can't do that, but there's no way you need to do or should do multiple things at one time for the dog to understand. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, we'll wrap up the conversation there. I feel like that's a, a pretty good place to end and still a lot more that we can talk about and we'll talk about in upcoming episodes. So thanks, George, for, for taking the time to, to sit down and talk with me and uh, ultimately to talk with uh, all, all the listeners that are here. Um, yeah, like, you know, like I said, well, you said in the beginning that uh, – this is going to be interactive, and I think that's really unique. I've done a lot of p podcasts, and so I think what's unique about this one is you're going to do it in a series, and if somebody emails a question in, we can't maybe get to all of them, but emails a question in or comment that we need to touch on, we can. Um, I think it's it, – you mentioned when you asked me to do this that, um, you know, in the book I, 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 I talk about my conversation with Al Harmeyer that – Listening and talking to people, I've learned a lot. And this is just kind of a listen and talk and sit by the campfire, you know, mm -hmm. the ordeal. I hope people, um, you know, got some information out here to help with their pups, you know, some basic stuff and some insights to some things. And uh, hopefully as we move forward, we'll, we'll, we'll give them more and then we'll get into to more and more um, advanced techniques and, and, and things of that nature. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the... the for the first for the first session, if people got out of this, that you you know the main thing is to, to work with your dog as a team, bond with your dog, use what works for your dog. Um, um, don't don't let it get away with noncompliance and keep using the same you know same same uh, verbiage or command because you're always training your dog. Um, yeah. If they get that kind of stuff out of it and they learned a little bit, that's great. And, you know, whenever I go to, to a seminar or, or, or read something or, or talk to somebody, if I walk away with one aha moment, and you've heard me mention those where I go, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, that made sense, I feel it was worth it. So hopefully we've, we've shared something here that, that somebody will go, well, yeah, that was worth it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So to our listeners, thanks again for taking the time uh, to be with us. Uh, don't forget to subscribe so that you know when the next podcast episode comes out. And if you like it, leave a rating for us. Uh, that'll actually help others to find the podcast and make it so that hopefully we can create those aha moments for as many people as we can. And so don't forget, you can also follow us, uh, Tips and Tales Podcast on Instagram. And then with those questions uh, or topics for future episodes, or if you heard something today that you're like, man, I, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about this, or, you know, that brought up this question for me. Um, chances are you're not the only one. So don't feel, you know, feel free to reach out. And that email is tipsandtalespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, those will be in the show notes. And as always, remember what George says in his book, blessed be the man and woman that spend their lives with a bird dog by their side. Thanks for being with us.